Welcome to the Head First Podcast. My name is Joe O'Brien, I'm the host of the podcast, and I'm currently completing a doctorate in health psychology. I also run the Instagram page Head First, so if you want to get in touch with me for any professional inquiries, my contact details are on my page, and they are also in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Spectrum Mental Health, so if you're looking for mental health support in Ireland, you can check out our website, which is mentalhealth.ie. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. So I'm joined today by a friend of mine, Sophie Freeman, who's going to be talking about her experiences of anorexia. So um, Sophie, first of all, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. Thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, we're here to kind of speak about, I guess, a bit about what you've been through or your journey, I guess, um, and your recovery specifically. Um, but it'd be great for people just to get an understanding of, I guess, a bit about your story maybe or a bit about you before we dive into that stuff yeah um so as joe said my name is sophie um i'm 27 i'm from dublin Um, i worked as a nurse for a few years and now i went back to college last year and i'm studying a master's in rcsi full-time Um, i am a very social person i love sport Um, i have a gorgeous family loads of gorgeous friends <laughs> And a fab boyfriend um and yeah and i'm in recovery from anorexia so yeah and um, that's really it for me I'm, I'm glad you actually started with all of that because what that shows to me is that like this isn't the core part of of who you are and your story yeah in terms of that part of of you like when did that even start where where does where did it begin for you i guess with anorexia um well my I first became unwell, I'd say, when I was about 14 or 15. So I actually had a shocking realisation last week that I think I've, like an eating disorder has been part of my life almost as much time as it hasn't. So it's nearly taken up oh. half my life already, um, which is pretty terrifying, but also great motivation. Um, so I think that's when I first became unwell, but I also, like, I have memories stemming back as early as I'd say seven or eight years of age of, like, eating disordered thoughts or, you know, negative body image thoughts. I was always really aware of, like, my body and not liking how I felt in my body. Um, and I was also always really, like, I've always compared myself to other girls in terms of my body and um, since I was really small which is really sad like I have memories of feeling fat on my communion day at age eight and I have all these like I remember like just always kind of pulling at my skin and not really knowing what the hell was wrong with me but really looking back it was just that I felt so uncomfortable with my own skin which is really sad but I, I first became actually unwell with anorexia when I was about 15 um 14 or 15 around third year of school so those thoughts and feelings about yourself kind of preceded that it was almost like they weren't expressed through anything until then yeah like to be honest i don't even really remember a time when i didn't have them and they're just my kind of earliest memories but um they just came out in behaviors when i was about 15 and i was always a really active child though um i played loads of sports from when i was like six or so so i think that probably in a way kept my thoughts at bay um 
like an outlet type thing yeah I think so um and like I'm so grateful for that as well I'm still so grateful that that's part of my life but I think I learned a lot through sport too that kind of fed into my eating disorder like I think one major trigger for me probably when I was about 11 um, I was running with the club quite competitively like for that young an age and my coach was uh, you know running like back then especially anyway the belief was the smaller you are the faster you are you know and my coach um, constantly was saying to me that I had a Gaelic player's body and that I needed to get smaller if I wanted to be faster and like even just small messages that she might have said things but other girls were given like the little um kind of bra singlets and she'd give me like a full coverage singlet you know okay. so I think messages like that were really uh played a big part in um how my eating disorder manif- manifested but that in itself that wasn't everything and um, I think those thoughts and feelings were there long before that but they, those sort of things probably didn't help it's almost like they reiterated some of those messages or yeah or... yeah like I already felt that way but when someone else says it you're kind of like oh then it must be true you know um so it makes it real yeah you know, or it brings it to life yeah and um, and in terms of okay so you remember at kind of 15 behaviors mm. starting I guess and you mentioned that this has been a part of your life nearly as long as mm. as it hasn't um what's the journey been like from then like mm. when you're at the onset of this at like 14 15 16 has that changed throughout time has there been times when it's been particularly difficult or, or not difficult and, and how has it really changed from then yeah like to be honest it's been a bit of a roller coaster ever since then and um, when i was that when i first got unwell and got help but like 15 or so um everything was so different then like I was actually thinking about it earlier when I was on my way here and I was thinking like when I first was my mum first brought me to the, the, the doctor I remember the doctor saying to her um you can just tell everyone she has a virus if they ask wow. because people had started to notice obviously that I had lost a lot of weight and you know it was you can imagine how immediately you'd feel shame for that when the doctor says to you just tell them she's a virus or whatever yeah don't tell them yeah don't tell them what's actually wrong yeah but um i was quite lucky because i got really good help quite early um and i so i started recovery really when i was about 16 and i was in pretty intensive a lot of you know uh dietitian input and uh therapy my parents were amazing, used to like bring me over every day, pretty much to where I was getting treatment. So that was great. And it really paid off. So those few years were tough. But by the time I started college, I was doing quite well. And I had a few years of doing quite well, really. But when I look back, I think, you know, I was doing well, but I wasn't doing great. Like I looked well, I to everybody around me, they thought I was recovered but in my head I didn't feel recovered in my body and I looked recovered um so there was areas in my recovery that I probably just didn't work on enough and then when I was 23 24 I uh, relapsed really unexpectedly um and quite badly and I don't really know why there wasn't anything major going on in my life like a few stressors here and there I was working 
full time as a nurse and I was doing a lot of night shifts and I kind of had a few quite difficult times at work and I think that probably didn't help and um, that alongside as I said just not really putting the full work into my recovery that I could have and um, when you when you say that you people know or people wouldn't have noticed that you were unwell mm-hmm. or that you were struggling when you started college but you felt like you hadn't quite got there what were the bits that were, were still around for you was that some of those thoughts and feelings yeah like I was still consumed with body image thoughts with really self-deprecating thoughts oh just not feeling good enough um like I felt quite free around food but in hindsight I don't think my relationship with food still was great um and my I like I'd be naturally quite a confident person like anyone who knows me probably thinks I'm really confident but it's more it's more than that it's like a self-esteem self-confidence thing was just in the gutter for years and uh I'm pretty good at faking it (laughs) so no one really realized and I think I struggled a lot more even with mood and anxiety through those years than people would have realized and more than I ever let on to myself either so it's it's really interesting that you say that because from a very physical um, perspective, there is criteria in the DSM, and there's a lot of flaws with the DSM, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but one of the criteria is related to BMI. Mm-hmm. And what you're explaining there is how you can change physically, mm-hmm. but the psychological stuff can still kind mm-hmm. of be there or kind of eat at you, that that isn't necessarily gone just by changing changing the weight would that yeah. be right yeah absolutely yeah and that's why recovery is so difficult and i think uh, a lot of people with an eating disorder will vouch for this that you can get to a place in your recovery where you look fine and it's it's a harmful it's harmful full stop because you can be in the throes of an eating disorder and look fine and there is no body type or no body shape that means you have an eating disorder you can have an eating disorder at any size any gender any race you know it doesn't discriminate but that stereotypical view of eating disorders of looking a certain way when that fades when you start to get physically better yeah you might have physically changed but mentally things could be the same you still can be suffering so much in your head and and that for me I think has been some of the toughest parts of my recovery because people stop worrying about you and people think oh thank god she's better and she looks so much better and people aren't necessarily checking in or you might think another huge association that I've often struggled with is the belief that I'm not sick enough so like I don't feel I don't look sick enough so I don't deserve help I'm not small enough to deserve help I can't get help until I'm a certain size so that all feeds in there. So it's quite complex, but yeah. And, and one of the horrible parts of that is that the actual system reinforces that. Yeah. So like when someone like yourself, for example, is, is struggling with something like that and they're having all these thoughts and they know that they don't feel particularly comfortable, even if they're at the kind of, inverted commas, healthy weight for BMI in terms of meeting the diagnostic criteria, some of those people will be rejected mm. help. They, they'll literally be told, you're not sick enough. Mm. And that's a huge problem with the system there yeah. because it's not just how you look or what yeah. you weigh, right? Yeah, and like it's absolutely nothing to do with that. But unfortunately, like it's still, that's still there in a lot of places where you go for treatment that like yeah. you're only really, 
you have to meet a certain criteria you have to be a certain bmi and if you're not within that threshold you mightn't warrant help and like it's just so damaging and it just feeds into everything your eating disorder tells you um so yeah it's it's awful and it's so, so damaging really yeah so when you talk about you kind of um changing how you look or mm. obviously changing how you looked was was a part of that or yeah it came with that and then weight and things like that were, were the bits that people were able to see mm. but they weren't able to see the other stuff how did that change for you and your recovery you said that that was maybe one of the most difficult parts because people stopped checking in but was there also the part that because you looked a certain way maybe you feel, felt like you didn't need to talk about it as much or what was so difficult about that period um there's a lot about that that's tough firstly in recovery like especially i can only talk from my own experience but weight gain is hard and it goes against everything your eating disorder is telling you to do so when you've say restored weight you're inevitably gonna feel pretty crap about yourself even though you i in my head i my logical part of my mind i knew it was necessary i knew my body was wasn't thriving where it was i knew i wasn't functioning where i was i wasn't able to I just wasn't able to function full stop but it still seems counterintuitive when you have this voice in your head all the time telling you that you're disgusting when you gain weight and so that in itself is really hard you feel really uncomfortable in your body like you have to still push on and like eat food and you feel like you you shouldn't because you're this bigger size but also yeah it kind of I've I've noticed on my journey I get to a certain point and I don't even mean a certain weight because like I don't ever check my weight anymore but I get to a certain point and I'm like oh like I look fine I seem fine why the hell should I need help because I don't look bad enough and there's so many people out there that are sicker than me and they should be getting help quicker than I should now thankfully I've come to a place in my journey where I don't believe that anymore and I have days where I still have those thoughts but I push on and I know I deserve help as much as anybody else but yeah there's some of the things so like one you feel so uncomfortable in your body but you're also then battling with the thoughts that you're not sick enough anymore to get the help either so yeah it's so challenging it's, a, it's almost like pushing through a part of you that, that tells you otherwise right yeah it's, it's it sounds like to me what you're saying is like even though there's a logical part of your brain that says you're getting better, you don't necessarily feel like you're getting better or you don't feel good doing that. Yeah, yeah. Because when you have like basically another voice in your head telling you the opposite all the time, to push against that is tough, you know? Yeah. And it feels counterintuitive sometimes. Like it feels like you're doing the wrong thing, even though logically you know and everybody around you will tell you that this is what's right for you. Um. But yeah, it's it's complex. When you say it like massively impacted your functioning and your ability to like live a little bit, one of the things I wanted to speak to you about was not necessarily the the behaviors themselves because that's maybe not that helpful for for people to hear, but rather like what impact does it have on on life? Like you mentioned at the time, you're full time working. Mm-hmm. I guess most recently full-time working as a nurse when you um, had the relapse mm. like again like we are friends and we're mm. speaking during that time yeah. and from the outside seems like very functioning mm. person how does how did it impact life 
I think the biggest thing for me is at that point, like it just completely took away my personality. I felt like my sparkle was completely gone. I never felt present. Like my mind was constantly on food, my body, what I was going to eat next, what I wasn't going to eat next, how I was going to like burn off what I had eaten that day. Like just completely eating disordered thoughts and there was no room left in my brain for anything else really other than my body and food and if I, like that's just so not me you know I was never present I was really you know when you're not nourished you're snappy you're irritable you're not sleeping so there's only like it's guaranteed you're not going to be the nicest person to be around you know um my mood was all over the place I was so anxious all the time um and that's a normal response to being malnourished. Yeah. Um, I also then, the, 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 the mad thing about eating disorders is like, obviously it's a mental illness, but it has so many physical implications. Like I felt so crap all the time. Like I was so weak. I was so exhausted. Like I was, yeah, working as a nurse for those points. I used to have to go out to my car and I had like three big cozy blankets in my car because I was always so cold. So I'd have gone into work with like a load of layers on so it wouldn't be freezing throughout the day. And then I'd go out to my car, blast the heat and wrap myself in three blankets and have to sleep for my lunch break because I couldn't get through the day otherwise. Wow. And like, I wasn't applying myself in my job. I wasn't enjoying the work I usually do. I was isolating myself from my friends. I was isolating myself from my family. I was just a completely different person. Like, it's even weird to think that that's how the way I could be because it, I, I'm never like that. Um, yeah. I remember when I... <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly a quiet person, but uh, I remember when I went into... I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but when I went into treatment then after at that time, this is a few years ago, in my uh, 20s, uh, after there was a few girls I was in treatment with and I was like my maybe my third or fourth week in and they were like, you're actually funny. And I was like, what? They were like... <laughs> we thought you were really quiet and shy and I was like sorry I think this is the first time in my life I've ever been called quiet or shy and they were like you're actually like kind of funny and I was like yeah I think so like I guess they had never even seen me laugh because okay. I was just so sad you know um so yeah it just took all the goodness from me to be honest okay. and it takes sucks all the fun out of your life and gives you no fun so right. yeah it's just kind of it was it took so much away from you that all you had left was preoccupied with your own body food what was coming next yeah. and all of that and like it's ironic because you think uh the smaller you are the happier you're going to be or you're going to be or if you lose a bit of weight i'll feel so much better about myself and it's it works in the complete opposite way like you it's you, so interesting because it, it's one of the examples that i use when i work with people when they say if I achieve this, because I work with people who would generally overeat or binge eat um, in particular and often struggle with weight and want to lose weight. And one of the things that they always say is like, once I get to this weight that, you know, I'll be happy. And one of the examples I use is like, okay, what about people who will struggle with something like anorexia? Because the belief is that the lower weight is happiness, mm. but it's never really fulfilled, is it? No, never, never. I remember one of the profound things that you said to me around that time was that, my eating disorder will never be satisfied mm. and I guess that ties into that right it's yeah. like no matter 
like the happiness part is the internal state and the the weight is not correlated with no that. like i remember when i relapsed that you know I, again this is in the in recent years and um, thinking i would get to a certain weight and i could stop there and i'd be really happy and i was a lot below that and markedly more unhappy so yeah it'll the eating disorder fails you with lies that'll never you'll never live up to so yeah no it i I could never satisfy my eating disorder in in that time that i guess most recent relapsed was it or how, how did you even start getting in touch with some sort of support or who helped you do that? I know if it, it sounds like it was kind of taking over yeah. life a little bit. Was it you who, who got support or did anyone kind of help um, you with that? My mom is gas. She always says to me, you're uh, really good at getting really bad really quickly. <laughs> I tend to take everything I do in life and run with it. And unfortunately, it's been the same with uh, uh, when I've been unwell and my disorder. But um, I got quite unwell quite quickly. And I, tr- I tried to, I, kind of, I was in total denial about myself, about it myself for a long time. I was like, this can't be happening again. This isn't the same. This isn't an eating disorder. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine. Um, but it just spiraled quite quickly. Um, and I tried to link back in with services that I had used before. And I was seeing a therapist, but it was maybe once every two weeks. And it just I wasn't making any progress with it. I was coming back worse every time. And um, my eating disorder had just gotten too strong and it got to a point then I, I was with my GP and she had referred me actually to a dietitian and I went to see this dietitian she was amazing actually and I there was like a two-week period that I just got so much worse so quickly now this obviously happened over years and months but it just was spiraling and spiraling and spiraling and i'd see my gp and this dietitian within a week of each other and they were like you need more like this isn't sufficient i and i was getting really physically sick with it too so i was referred at that point for um residential like inpatient help and i went for uh, an assessment and was admitted pretty quickly after that so, so when you say inpatient it's like residential is yeah. living there full-time yeah. kind yeah. of treatment yeah i was there for three months and okay. um, 12 weeks and it was the best thing i ever did to be honest what's um, it like can you give people an idea of what inpatient treatment kind of looks like yeah so i was in a, a place that was uh wasn't a hospital it was like a residential unit um and it was amazing to be honest like i never thought i'd, I'd have to go somewhere like that and for me, it was all quite shameful because I'm a psychiatric nurse and I was like, this is my job. I can't go in somewhere and be looked after by psychiatric nurses, which sounds so awful. Like, I know it's just feeding into stigma that's there, but it felt it was quite hard. Yeah. I really had to swallow my pride and my ego and get over myself. I think that's quite common, especially in our profession. I know. That, like, people have this idea that, like, even myself as a trainee psychologist, like, psychologists don't struggle yeah. psychologists have no issues and, and you obviously felt the same going yeah. into that right yeah completely what was um, it like then then heading in and getting that treatment from probably some peers or some people that you might I know. have been on a team yeah. with i was like 
oh, you know, there was times I was like, well, I just pretend and make up a job and just tell them I do something else. And then I was like, no. But I was going to be like, I'm a psychiatrist like, nurse. Like, as if it was shameful, it's ridiculous. But um, no, I did. That only lasted a while. I lived to to, uh, to realize that that's actually a strength, if anything. But um, it was hard in work as well. Like, it was really, I found there was massive barrier there. Like, I couldn't tell people in work about it it's shocking but like sometimes people who work in it are can be the most um judgmental in ways about it too um which is kind of sad and obviously that's not everyone but it just i, I experienced that but yeah so in patient is it's intense like where i went we had to be up at like eight in the morning and you were spent your days between meals and snacks you were in ther- group therapy and individual therapy pretty much all day long and sometimes in the evenings so we do groups together all day and then you would also have individual sessions then in the day as well um and when you're well enough you're able to go home at the weekends um which was amazing so i was able to go home to my family and um, there was a dietitian there there was um psychologists psychotherapists a doctor um you so you're reg- monitored physically and obviously mentally and emotionally regularly so um the sport was incredible and at that point I had just gotten so sick of it and I was so unwell that I was like do you know what I just surrender like I'll just do whatever you say slap me up my meals and I'm just gonna do it because I was like this is my last chance the other option was pretty bleak so I was like it's I'm just gonna go for it and yeah it's the best thing i ever did really and it is pretty bleak the outcomes for a lot of people who struggle mm-hmm. with eating disorders they're i think the highest level of or the highest percentage of morbidity ahead of any other mental, mental health illness, issue yeah which is just mind-blowing to actually Scary, think about yeah. um in terms of where you mentioned that that was kind of the best thing that you've ever done mm-hmm. where are you at with it now if you don't mind me asking yeah like i'm i'm pretty good um obviously not to go all COVID on you, but like the last year has posed challenges to everybody. And um, I think it, especially in eating disorder recovery and in everyone's life, routine holds a massive place for me. Like I just thrive when I'm in good routine. And um, even in terms of like, it, from a recovery standpoint, it makes your meals easier. It makes your sleep easier and all of that so when your routine was pulled from you so much like it has been over the last year that was tough and I have found you know it's not a it's not plain sailing like recovery is never going to be linear like it's always going to be up and down but um I'm lucky that I've like an incredible dietitian and um she's been an amazing support and also have see therapist who's incredible so I just have to really keep on the ball with it um like i'm in recovery you know um there's there's kind of a narrative sometimes that you kind of can't fully recover or that it's really difficult to like fully recover um and i think like maybe there are the thoughts there or some of the feelings that come up with that or some of their urges maybe that will be part of it but when when someone asks you like is recovery possible i get this question a lot what, what would you say to that absolutely of course it is i think it's it's so sad like i it breaks my heart to even hear that narrative because 
like imagine you had any other illness and someone was going in and saying like it's not really possible to recover or oh, there's you, no chance there's here. no chance of you really getting better you just have to learn to live with it like that's just so not hopeful in any way um so i am a massive believer in recovery and I, 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 it's not even being a believer in recovery it's fact like you can recover and people do recover and i will fully recover too and when I'm you, closer every day, you when, know. When you say kind of full recovery, what does what? How would you kind of define that for yourself? Even what would that look like to be like? I guess free from an eating disorder. Yeah. So to me, I always think of it as as freedom. Like I imagine myself being completely free of eating disorder thoughts and um, having like a healthy relationship with my body, like. I one of my biggest struggles has always been body image and I think like I always think you know there's this whole body confidence movement online which is amazing but for me I'm like I don't even want I don't want to go from a place of years of hating my body to just one day loving my body like I just want to learn to live with my body and like I don't want to go <laughs> walk past a mirror and be like oh she is gorgeous <laughs> I just want to walk past a mirror and not notice it's there because I've spent so many years like scrutinizing myself like um it's so, and it's so interesting that you say that because that was something that I was thinking about last night and something I'm kind I was kind of posting about today the day that we we're actually recording mm -hmm. this was this idea that like loving your body and like still focusing on your body in a positive way versus focusing on it in a negative way rather than just it being totally like independent of yeah. your kind of thoughts rather than like trying to aspire to look in the mirror and think i love myself look at my body look at like yeah. it, that in itself is is almost it's like objectifying yourself in a positive way versus objectifying yourself in a negative way exactly and it's just that it sounds like you want to get to a place where it's just neutral it doesn't yeah. play a part yeah and like i always think i want to like transcend my thoughts from it's so such negative thoughts say about my body to so to a place where I I so transcend my thoughts from being consumed by body image and food and how I look and what meal I'm gonna have or whatever to a place where that's just not there and my mind is free to think about all the other deadly things there is to think about and <laughs> they're just not a part of my thoughts um and I much rather think about my body in terms of what it does for me and respect my body and honor my body and its signals and listen to it as opposed to forming this relationship where I'm just mad about it like yeah yeah that's brilliant and it's lovely to see and obviously a much more helpful conversation than people berating their bodies but for me, I'm all about, you know, body neutrality as well. You, you don't know? kind of want it to be part of the conversation. Is no, not really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's understandable. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on is like kind of what you've learned about yourself and about, I guess, this challenge for you. Like have you've, you've kind of been through the treatments and mm. been through therapy and, and continue to do that, which is great to hear. Mm -hmm. In terms of like what kind of contributed it to it or like where it came from or an understanding of why it's there, do you have any insight into that? I know that's a probably an incredibly difficult question because nobody ever has true insight into mm. everything that contributed, but 
what are some of the things that you kind of have learned during that process? Yeah, I, I do find that hard to answer because some people do have like, they look back and think, I know, like actually do know where it stemmed from or whatever. I don't really, like I have certain experiences in life, like say that with that rolling couch or I, I just always was, I hate even using this term, but like I was quite an anxious child and was always a real worrier and was always again as I say very aware of my body and I was always a massive perfectionist and and then I think I things that other kids took didn't think into I thought into way more like the year I first got sick when I was like uh, 15 or whatever I was playing uh, for Dublin at the time and we were given this food plan and I remember thinking like if I probably also stem from the running thing but I remember thinking like if I eat less than this I'll be smaller and faster and better and definitely get my place and that was the year that I got really sick so those things probably contributed but nobody else on that team had an eating disorder like it wasn't like that's what made it happen um, it's almost like it, it kind of brought it out yeah rather, rather or gave you the way to express that yeah I also through uh, those few years in school was bullied which definitely didn't help um and that made me bully like the things about my body and the way I looked came up a lot in that conversation so that definitely didn't help um there wasn't one like major event in my life like I've an amazing supportive family who have shown me nothing but love like I came I grew up in so privileged and lucky with like amazing as I say family around me that made me feel so like like I was perfect so I don't know why I ever felt the need to change myself but I did and I think I was just extra sensitive to messages as well that a lot of kids didn't pick up on um, it's interesting that you say that because two of the experiences there are related to kind of sports mm. coaches and the like ED prevalence yeah. amongst people who like athletes yeah. is, is far higher. Do you think some of that contributes at all? Yeah, and I, there's actually a lot of studies being done at the moment about like genetic element to eating disorders um, and if there's actually a specific gene that they've sort of identified that they think is a predisposer for eating disorder and in a lot of the studies it's shown that it's really prevalent in athlete groups now i'm no athlete like but you know what i mean like you were sporty though, yeah was... yeah and um, so that's interesting Um, there actually was eating disorders in my family as well like um two before me my extended family now so look you never know yeah. but it's not like there there were a couple of environmental things or experiences yeah. that you had that again people look for a single trigger yeah. or a single explanation but that doesn't tend to there exist wasn't sometimes. one for me yeah but maybe a collection of different yeah. things yeah i, I, I want to talk to you about like living with it yeah and like interacting with people mm. and all of that jazz i guess a big misconception for people when they talk about anorexia specifically is like why don't they just eat it mm. why can't they just eat it mm. can you tell me kind of why it's not as simple as just eating it or give yeah. people an explanation for that yeah so i sometimes use this analogy like imagine you were told 
imagine you like so eating comes as naturally to the majority of people as breathing or needing to pee right okay. and imagine every time you took a breath there was a voice in your head telling you not to take a breath or imagine every time this is probably a better analogy but imagine every time you were bursting for a pee <laughs> that someone a voice in your head was telling you don't go don't don't go don't go hold off wait don't go and if you did go, there's a voice in your head berating you saying, why did you do that? You're so weak. You're, you're useless. That's just, you're disgusting. Don't do that again. You're like completely berating you for something that's normal. That's how it felt to me and to people with eating disorders every time you eat. So for so, most people, as I say, like they can go about their day, they get up and have their breakfast. For hours before my breakfast, my head is telling me, don't eat it, you don't need it, you're not small enough, you don't deserve it, you haven't done enough today, you haven't exercised, you haven't moved enough. Then I eat and then it's like, oh my God, you shouldn't have had that, that was too much, that you could have just had this, uh, you should have just skipped that meal, um, you're going to gain so much weight now. Like that's why it's not as easy as just to eat. It's honestly, I do think it's as harmful saying that as to saying to someone just breathe or just yeah. be you know what yeah. I mean because it, it sounds like there's a part of you that like you said just berates yourself for doing something normal and when I think about that example what I'm thinking about is if there was someone else doing that like if there was someone else berating you for yeah. eating something maybe someone else would understand but when it's coming from maybe inside yourself or there's a part of yourself that says that people tend maybe not to understand but I think that's a really interesting perspective because let's say for example there was a someone in your family who used to criticize you a lot for eating it would make sense then that you would not want to eat or you would try to avoid it but it's almost like people miss that because it's it's coming from your own self or there's a part of you that says that or the eating disorder thoughts are the ones that berate you yeah. therefore it's like they can't see the reason for why it's so hard yeah and i think as well for people like it's really hard for people watching someone go through because you see them literally destroying themselves and their body more every day and they're like how can you not just eat like you know it's going to make you better and like it, it's it's really complex as well because it, when you're in it you know you're damaging yourself and you don't really care and that's obviously so hard for people who love you to watch. So, and they think, you know, for most people, people strive to be quote unquote healthy or, you know, whatever. Um, but that's really hard for people to recognize why don't you want to be healthy, you know? And yeah. um, so, so with that then, if, if people are listening to this and they are struggling or they know someone even who's, who's going through maybe something similar what 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 would you have liked back then or like what would have been helpful for someone supporting you or what would you even what advice would you give to someone supporting somebody who's struggling with something similar and um, i think educate yourself as much as possible in the area people like the conversation there's a constant dialogue everywhere about food. I don't know, people are obsessed with talking about food and about diets and about calories and about exercise and about how many steps they've done that day, you know? <laughs> Maybe just have a little look within yourself first and think, am I using these, this, this kind of conversation around the person who's suffering? Because that, for one, isn't gonna be helpful. 
Two, I think, educate yourself. Like, my mum was getting a lot of airtime, but she was such a huge support to me um, when I was sick, especially when I was young, you know, because she was, like, lived with me through it. She educated herself so much in it, and she learned as much as she possibly can. You'll never, ever understand. I, I don't think anybody who hasn't been through an eating disorder can fully understand it. Like, you'll never know what it actually feels like until you're in it. Like with any mental illness or any physical illness or anything, really you only know it until you've been through it. And, and as well as that, you only know your own experience. So yeah, like exactly. your thing might be different yeah, to somebody else's. totally. Um, but educate yourself as much as you can about it because it's, it's hard because um, people struggling with eating disorders can be quite like sensitive and you can say one thing wrong and it can throw someone so much. So people are afraid to say things. I actually would say don't be afraid to say something. Um, now, like over the last few years, you know, my family have, have learned so much from going through it all with me. But I said to them, like we had had family therapy when I was in inpatient and they were asking me like, what if, you, what if it happens again? Like, what do I do? And I was like, call me out. Like, just call me out. If you see me like declining or something, just say it straight to me because there's people are afraid to say it to you and then next thing you get it from like somebody else in your family that says to you oh so and so is worried about you but i'm like why don't they just say to me you know what i mean right so it's almost like a topic that is avoided yeah and that just feeds into the shame like i feel like when you're going through it you feel ashamed enough and if people are afraid to say it to you too that makes you feel even more ashamed you know and unsupported actually but just kind of being there, learning as much as you can about it to support them, um, like learning as much as you can about eating disorders and what helps and what doesn't, um, and just being there for the person, not forcing them to eat, like not, they are not the kind of things that people think, oh, I'll make her food and drop it to her or something, those sort of things aren't necessary, but just being there, you know? One of the phrases that I like a lot in, in supporting someone, and I think it just applies everywhere, no matter what someone else is going through, is how can I help? Like, what can I actually do yeah. for you? Yeah. The idea of like, like you, like you said, you're the expert in what you're going yeah. through. Nobody knows how it feels for you. So just offering someone like, what can I actually do? And letting the person guide what that looks like. Yeah. And I guess if you're in a place to accept support, you'll tell them, right? Exactly. And if you're not, there's nothing they can do to change that. Yeah. I, that's so true. And just saying to someone, is there anything I can do to make this easier for you? Or, uh, and if they say no, or if, like, you can straight out ask, do you want to talk about anything? And a lot of the time people have said that to me and I just say, no, I don't. And then I'm like, but can we go for a walk? Or but can we watch a film or something? You know what I mean? Those things might be a lot more helpful. Um, so, yeah. Just leaving it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of then advice for someone who maybe is going through something similar, not necessarily just anorexia, but um, an eating disorder in general, what would you say to them in terms of, like, like you said, you were on the fence for mm. a long time yeah. um, and like debating if you were sick enough and, and things like that. What would you say to people about your journey, I guess, or, or what it's given you to actually get the right support? Yeah, like I always say, it, it's like recovery. I just can't even speak about how much it is worth it. Like, so people, I used to be terrified to go into it because... All I thought of was get weight gain, like recovery is weight gain, but it's not. <laughs> like it's so much more than that. It opens so many more opportunities. 
my mind is full of gorgeous things now, not just full of body image and food. Um, I have an actual quality of life. I have real relationships with depth that I never had before. Um, I can function daily. I can function without feeling sick and dizzy and like I'm going to faint all the time. Um, but you can't do it on your own. Like I would urge everybody to seek help and it's hard also seeking help because you can seek help and then like we spoke about earlier, have somebody say the wrong thing to you, like about say BMI or something and that's really damaging in terms of eating disorders. But if you can at all reach out to somebody you trust and try find someone that you can go to for help, you're there is no such thing as not sick enough. Like don't wait till you're X amount of weight. Don't wait until something terrible happens to you physically to get help. Get help now. Like I always think like recovery is like a spectrum. Like I used to see it as a spectrum. I still kind of do. And I used to think like if I just tipped a little bit back more, then I could get help but to be pushed along. But like, why? I'll inevitably still pass through the place that I'm at now. So why don't I just get help now and push on from here? You know. So rather than waiting till it's at a pretty difficult state, yeah, or a difficult place, prevention is always better than cure, right? Exactly, and like, I, I, it's it's sad. It's so self deprecating. Like, but it's like you need to have something really bad happen before you can warrant getting help. But actually, in the long term, like, I've had pretty crap things happen to me. And now I'm just paying the price for them. You know what I mean? So it's so not worth it. And recovery is so worth it. So I just urge anybody, everybody to get help in whatever way feels comfortable for them. I'm really glad to see you speak about that and how much of a different place you're in. Yeah. Um. Is there any other kind of messages or anything you'd like to say in terms of your experience or your, your journey that you felt like you didn't get a chance to? No, I don't think so. I think, um, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, at the moment, things are so difficult. And I think it's all about the little wins and the little small things bringing you joy at the moment. But, you know, to just... Everybody is deserving of help. I think there's a few, like... I think there's a true COVID and through the pandemic, there's been like, I've noticed two massive movements. Like one is half of the people I know are on some fitness regime or trying to lose weight. And the other half of people seem to be trying to accept themselves as they are, you know? And I think there's so, it must be a really confusing place for people to be in that are struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating. There seems to be just more talk about food, about diet, about exercise, whatever, because nobody else, no one has really anything else to do. Um, but I just, you know, you're in control of what you consume. You're in control of how you're in control of every day. Um, things that have helped me lately, like I did a total social media call. Like I only follow people that are helpful in my journey. Head first being one, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but no, just celebrate the little things. Like use this time. We all have a bit more time in our hands. Use this time to get to know yourself better, to start your journey. Like 
don't wait until you're sicker just start now and if there's no time like the present um I don't know if I'm making sense but yeah <laughs> I think your message is, is is pretty loud and clear Sophie thank you so much for your time I really appreciate no problem. you sharing all of that obviously it's it's not an easy thing to talk about especially when you talk about like the shame of going to things like inpatients even going to therapy or talking about it in general has been difficult I think that's something that's really common amongst all EDs so mm. I'm sure that your words have been really helpful so thank you for giving me your time no problem my um my favorite quote is always to be the change you want to see in the world so if I could do that for one person <laughs> I'll be happy yeah well you're taking one step in the right direction thanks so much thank you